that skepticism does not come from uh, too much thinking, but too little thinking. Because here's what often happens with those questions that a lot Did of people have. Did you just make that up? I probably not because I don't make anything so up. That is so profound. <laughs> I, I wish I was original. I probably heard it somewhere. Could you say it again? Uh, skept- I did. I wrote it down. Skepticism is not a derivative of too much thinking, but too little thinking. Right. And so here's, here's my encouragement to Christians that maybe are walking around and those questions come up in their mind is that don't treat it like an unchecked email account. I don't know if you guys have ever had this before, but like you, you have like emails pop in and it's like, I got a hundred, I got 200, but now the junk mail is going. And at some point you've got a thousand and you're like, you know what? That's my junk email email now. Like whenever I need to sign up online, I'm going to give them that one and I'm never going to check it. That's an abandoned email. I think a lot of the times... Many Christians, they treat their, their questions like that, like an unchecked email. They're like, you know what? I'm going to put that away later. There's probably not an answer to that. I don't know. I don't have time to explore that question right now. And what happens is that these questions build up and often they'll explode into outright skepticism and they'll abandon their faith like an old email account. And my thing is this, is that although our faith does take a large measure of belief, the greatest of thinkers are Christians. God invites us to ask questions, Come, to let's reason together. That's exactly right. There are answers to these questions. And, and so I think that we need to make a space for people who are walking around with unanswered questions so that that, doesn't, that pressure doesn't build up in, their, in the back of their minds. Yeah. Do you guys ever find yourselves being haunted by 80s music. I know, Oscar, you were like 12. You're 12 now. <laughs> I think Oscar turned me on to 80s music like with a jazz theme. Do you remember that? It was you or Eddie, where it's like all 80s music, but somebody redid it with jazz. Ray, d- did you ever listen to music in the 80s? That's when you had your Tom Selleck mustache flowing too. You would have fit perfectly in the 80s. Burt Reynolds. Broom sweeper. I remember the 60s music, which I loved. So I know why you guys talk like you do. It's just part of your childhood and teenagehood. It, it, there are times it just haunts me. It just In a bad way? No, I can't get it out of my head. Like today we're talking. I know, but as long as you don't sing it. You know, today we're talking about doubt and faith and George Michael's got to have faith. Here faith, faith, baby. baby. Oh, Oscar, you I know must be nice. Songs. Oh, I grew up on it. I uh, think the 80s were the best, personally. I, I don't think there's ever been an era with music as good as it. My R- kids look love at Ray 80s Roll's music. eyes. Wait, the Beatles, right, Ray? Forget that. Easy, your kids come over to my house to listen to 80s music. Yeah, because I don't want them to listen to it at my house. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I mean, think of the songs from the 80s. Can you guys remember some of the songs from the 80s? The one that comes to mind more than any is uh, Boy George. Gamma, 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 chameleon. You come and go, you come and go. Sounds awful. <laughs> so you listen to all the bad you know that music, song, I see. Right? I know Joy, Boy George was, he was sort of transsexual, yeah, homosexual, terrible. weird. And then there was... It was more like Credence and... CCR, that's like 70s. Yeah, oh, sh- remember Sade? Smooth operator. That's another one my brain goes to. Again, huge fan of you too. when I was a kid. Oh, Joshua Tree. stuff. Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> so how are we going to transition from where we're possible? Just, no. I know. At George Michael's I've Gotta Have Faith, and my brain just got on that, and it went on an 80s theme. But yes, friends, today we're talking about how to combat doubts about the faith. Oh, i got to say something. This will be very helpful, and you know it to be true, Easy. 
prove it. You get a song you want to get out of your mind, just start singing It's a Small, Small World. How's that go? That crushes everything. It gets it out the door. I've had songs that encourage suicide going through my head, horrible songs. They're gone in a second because of that small, small Can you world. imagine being the employee at Disneyland that has to run that ride? You, I, seriously, I, there must be some kind of like form they have to sign that they're not responsible if the employee goes crazy. One of my very first jobs, I worked at a water park as a lifeguard, and that water park had three or four Beach Boys songs on repeat. And I walked in that summer liking Beach Boys, and I left that summer despised. Buying Beach Boys. I did not Stay ever. Was that, that was one of them. California Girls. What are you talking about? Good vibrations, not good sensations. Good what are you vibrations. talking about? <laughs> so. you remember I used to get my hair done in that Vietnamese town? Oh, yes. Center? In West Westminster. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all these so goodies. It was all these goodies. Yeah, it's so I'd go in there <laughs> and they wanted to get more white people who spoke English. And I, I don't know why or how I found this place, but nobody spoke any English. And I walked in there, and she would cut my hair, and she would put on oldies but goodies. And everybody around inside the place hated it. Put on these what? Oldies but goodies music. You know, that, that was like, a term like for the old classic songs. Oh, old but yeah. goodies. They call them oldies but goodies. Oldies oh. but goodies. Yeah. And so K-Earth, 101. I right? knew I was the only English-speaking customer they had because when I'd come back the following month, they would just resume the music. <laughs> the song would pick up right yeah, where they put their own little VHS tape, you know, up on the television. But you visited them too, didn't you? I can't remember. I knew I grew up in Westminster. She so. goes, oh, you saw Dep Jai? You Dep yeah, Jai? Yeah, Dep Jai, handsome. So you were getting to point, and I just destroyed it. You totally destroyed point. everything, So Ray. pull back into point. Okay, so I was saying... <laughs> oh, it's a small world. It's <laughs> a small world. I want to get it in race head so it stays there. You're going to torment all our listeners, Mark. So, yeah, doubt. This is something that I think is going to be hopefully encouraging our listeners today because I think it's more of a common struggle believers have than is acknowledged or that is talked about because it's one of those things that I think Christians feel ashamed to even admit that there are times when they, they battle doubts, that doubts overtake their minds and they find themselves struggling. You know, Spurgeon talked about how he would much rather go through any trial than the trial of doubt because there's so much pain and turmoil that's associated with it. And I like what Henry Drummond said. He said, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. And I think that that's an important distinction to make because a lot of believers, I think, feel, oh, I'm struggling with doubt. And scripture talks about, don't let there be an evil heart of unbelief in any of you. And we'll, we'll talk about that and the context of that. But Alistair McGrath also said this. He said, doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Unbelief is a decision to live your life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of the faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust, but it is not and need not be a problem. So guys, let's open up about that and be an encouragement to our friends that are listening today. Oscar, you were an atheist. Everyone knows that who's listened for any amount of time. And skepticism is a big part of that world. 
when you became a believer, did you battle with doubts and how did you work through them? Did you battle with doubts? What he says, no. And how did you work through them? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's an assumption. You did battle with doubts, Oscar. (laughs) How did you work through them? Yeah, I mean, the first year or so of my faith was a major struggle as I sought to unwind so much of the way I was thinking. One of the curses of loving to read is that coming into the Christian faith, I had read a lot of books that shaped the way I was thinking that were formed in an atheistic mindset, if I can use that phrase. One of the things that I found incredibly unhelpful, which you just alluded to, is that I don't know if many of us are equipped or ready to have an honest question, a patient and gracious question with people who are struggling with tough questions. Mm -hmm. Because what I found at the particular church that I was going to, and this may not be universally true, but this was my experience, is that I would have a question and somebody would send me to a pastor that like had a memorized one-liner or med- read that one book. And, but when I pressed or when I asked or when I was curious, it was like their patience with me was about one coffee. And then after that, they were like, I don't know, go, go see somebody else. I got nothing else for you, you know? And so one of the things that was, yes, sir. Can you be specific? In regards to the questions? questions. Yeah. I mean, I struggled with the inerrancy of scripture. I struggled with hell, all the common ones, really. I struggled with the Old Testament. Because I'm an avid reader, I started reading the Bible and I realized that the PG-13 Bible that people talk about is not the Bible that we find when we read, but the Bible that we have is so much better than the PG-13 Bible that's most commonly understood. And so- So what, PG-13? Explain it. The sanitized- Sanitized version, right. I just saw this TED Talks video and it's totally blasphemous. And the guy is talking about how he was invited to work on this Bible talk show and how they were struggling because they didn't want to use Old Testament verses because it wouldn't be a family-friendly show. And so that's what I mean by PG-13. So anyway, reading the Old Testament brought me lots of questions. But thankfully, I did find people that weren't just willing to give me one-liners, that were willing to disciple me, disciple me through good books, disciple me through tough questions, even when they didn't have the answers immediately to my questions, they discipled me. And one of the things that I found incredibly comforting, which you just alluded to, is that I wasn't alone. First and foremost, the Psalms are riddled with poetry of the psalmists with their doubts. It's true, you're not alone. It's a small world after all. (laughs) Uh, And one of my favorite verses, you guys hear me quoted often, is in Mark 9, which is this father comes with his paraplegic son and he asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus says, do you believe? And mind you, pause, like this is God incarnate the creator and sustainer of everything. And he's asking him, do you believe? And the guy's honest. He says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Now you would think like God would be like, no, you don't believe. Get out of here. But Jesus blessed him. He healed his son. He saw it as faithfulness. And so it was an incredible reprieve to me to realize that, uncertainty is all through the scriptures and God is willing to show grace upon the honest person who is seeking answers. So uh, my question then is, because I'm trying to understand 
what you're saying and where, where you came from with that, right? Because I don't have that testimony, right? I don't, I don't think I've ever had a struggle like that with belief and faith. I, I'll read something like Proverbs 3 and trust in the Lord. I may not understand what's happened, what's going on, but I don't think I've ever had a crisis of faith to where I go, I'm doubting that God is on his throne. I'm doubting that God's word is true. I'm doubting, fill in the blank. My mind hasn't gone there, and I'm trying to compare my past to your past, right? I had a dad that was extremely close to me, that loved me, wasn't a Christian, but he did the best that he did. Same with my mom. I didn't come from an unbelief. I came from a Catholic faith, though I Christmas and Easter, but I wasn't saved. You came from an atheistic, highly skeptical past. Do you think the upbringing from your family to your journey down atheism and all of these skeptical books where it's just lie, 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 lie. You know, when you're not meditating on truth, you're going to believe lies are truth. You brought that on into Christianity with a continually asking a question over every turn, over every page and every sentence, and you're saying, how can I trust that? How can I believe that? Is that what distinguishes maybe my pursuit, my journey, my trek compared to yours? I think that's a part of it, but I wouldn't say that everyone struggles in the same way. I think some people are blessed with unwavering, uncertain faith. They don't have unbelief. But the thing about that is, though, take John the Baptist, for example, who was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. He was really the first evangelist proclaiming the gospel coming out of the wilderness. He baptized the Son of God. He witnessed a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Like he was the good Christian kid who grew up believing literally while he was in the womb. He heard the audible voice of God. And yet at the end of his life, before his head was chopped off, he gathered his disciples together and he told them to go ask Jesus a question for him. Matthew 11, three, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? So we talk about doubting Thomas quite a bit, but John the Baptist raised a Christian, if you will, had a moment of unbelief. And so James K.A. Smith says that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but a companion to it. It is a part of our fallen nature, I think. And I think some people feel that a little differently than others. Or think about like the fact that Jesus says that if you had faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Has any of us ever moved a mountain? That means our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. Well, where would you put it? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to kind of touch on that too. Oscar and I obviously had different backgrounds. Mine and yours were actually more similar in that I grew up Catholic too. Never for a second questioned if God existed, never once. But I think part of it too just deals with our dispositions, our personalities, our minds, the way we work. But I was my youth pastor's nightmare as a new Christian. I mean, seriously, like he'd see me coming, it was like duck and cover because... We know the feeling. And that's because of the questions that you would ask? Exactly. Because I had a lot of questions and I dealt with doubts. Like, well, what about this? And part of it for me was, okay, I was deceived in Catholicism for so long. I want to be certain. Well, okay, well, how do we know this? How do we know that? There was a deep abiding faith. I never had a crisis of faith where like I considered walking away from the Lord, nothing like that. And again, that's a part of God's sustaining grace for the redeemed and those that are regenerated. But I really 
had a lot of questions and I struggled. And I was back then really studying the cults. I was, it's so funny. You guys remember, uh, we talked about Walter Martin earlier, Bible Answer Man, ran into his son at in and out last night and he loves the ministry, watches all of our TV programs. And Walter Martin was one of my big heroes and I would w- listen to a lot of his stuff. Does he listen to the podcast? No, he's not a podcast guy. I asked him about that. I said about the podcast. So So he won't hear that? Yeah, hopefully he'll repent. But no, it really, I just had, I was listening to a lot, learning a lot. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I was deceived there. What about here? What about there? So I think a lot of times too, it has to do with your personality. You don't necessarily have to have been an atheist, but it's the way that you think or process or maybe concerns that arise in you. Does that make sense? No. You say no, right? (laughs) A little bit contentious. I mean, I'm attempting, right? I mean... They that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think if if I don't trust him, and I've had this since the beginning of my walks 30 years ago, that it was like the one thing, kind of like the Arcane Hughes, when he'd approach the Word of God, it became for him his ultimate sanity, that that was the place where I went. Because from nightmares to night terrors to every sort of craziness that's going to happen inside of my life, I just realized that let God be true and every man a liar, that I can approach God, sit on my hands and allow God to do what he's going to do. And I may have lots of questions, but I don't think I've ever had my faith shaken to the place. And presuppositional apologetics helped me a lot in this because without the precondition for intelligibility with Christ and the word of God, well, then everything else is going to be not make any sense. There's no such thing as neutral ground. So I think that helped me a lot to solidify But I've often tried to think through this, that is there a measure of faith given more? Is it a gift of faith, perhaps, that somebody has more than the next person who doesn't struggle in their faith journey, you know, as a believer? Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. I don't know if I'd look at all forms of unbelief as a struggle, though. Like James Smith says, it's a companion. Maybe it's better to use the term doubt, Oscar, don't you think? Rather than unbelief. Yeah, Yeah. right. I use unbelief because of Mark 9. But yeah, doubt is a good way of doing that. So I don't think that doubt is so much a struggle. Here's the thing. I think that some people, as they go about life, they have questions pop into their mind. And for some, it's like, I don't know, I'm going to trust the Lord with that. And they're good. To others, they do that, but it also, it, maybe it lingers in the back of their mind. Here's my- Could it be warfare attached could to be, that? It could absolutely be spiritual warfare. Here's the thing that I would say though, that skepticism does not come from too much thinking, but too little thinking. Because here's what often happens with those questions that a lot Would of people have. Would you just make that up? 
I probably not because I don't make anything so up. So profound. I wish I was original. I probably heard it somewhere. Did you say it again? Uh, skeptic. I did. I wrote it down. Skepticism is not derivative of too much thinking, but too little thinking. Here's my encouragement to Christians that maybe are walking around and those questions come up in their mind is that don't treat it like an unchecked email account. I don't know if you guys have ever had this before, but like you have like emails pop in and it's like, I got a hundred, I got 200, but now the junk mail is going. And at some point you've got a thousand and you're like, you know what? That's my junk email email now. Like whenever I need to sign up online, I'm going to give them that one and I'm never going to check it. That's an abandoned email. I think a lot of the times, many Christians, they treat their, their questions like that, like an unchecked email. They're like, you know what? I'm going to put that away later. There's probably not an answer to that. I don't know. I don't have time to explore that question right now. And what happens is that these questions build up and often they'll explode into outright skepticism and they'll abandon their faith like an old email account. And my thing is this, is that although our faith does take a large measure of belief, the greatest of thinkers are Christians. God invites us to ask questions. Come, to let explore. us reason together. That's exactly right. There are answers to these questions. And so I think that we need to make a space for people who are walking around with unanswered questions so that that, doesn't, that pressure doesn't build up in, their, in the back of their minds. Yeah. J.C. Ryle put it well. He said, doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. Could we replace the word doubting with questioning? Yeah, that could be done too. We keep refining it from unbelief to doubting. Well, I just thinking there's yeah. so many scriptures. You ask in faith, nothing doubting. You know, when you ask in faith, nothing doubting. So, I mean, I've got so many questions of God, but it doesn't shake my faith even right. slightly. Yeah, and that's the thing. Again, it, it's not a shaking of the faith to the point of abandonment for the true believer, but it's just a wrestling. It's genuine questions, yeah, that arise and you're battling with it. And again, I love what Spurgeon said here. He says, often doubts will prevail. What a mercy it is that it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. What a sweet fact that it is not how you grasp his hand, but his grasp of yours that saves you. I think that's really the key element, you know, that God is going to sustain you. He's going to bring you through it. And to be honest with you guys, I think those... You're always honest with us. No, not always. Okay. Sometimes I'm super honest. <laughs> I think that those that do have bouts of, of doubts, bouts of doubts, and press on are admirable because it's showing that they truly do believe because they're persevering. And I've talked about it before in the program, but I think that it's important for us to remember what, what scripture says in terms of how we're to press on. I mean, James says, hey, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works, James 2.18. And I think that's such a key because we can talk about believing, but then you break it down. Like, what does it mean when I'm doubting or questioning? Well, I mean, you, you boil it down to the, its simplicity. I'm just having these thoughts or these emotions, whatever. But I can show my faith by the fact that I continue to engage and what God has said is true and right. I don't feel God's word is important. I'm having doubts in the inspiration of scripture, the infallibility, the inerrancy of scripture. But guess what? I'm not only continuing to read the word, I'm continuing to obey the word. I'm talking to the person who's having those struggles. That's showing their faith by their works. Forget what you feel and what you think. We 
press on and demonstrate, no, this is valuable to me. Oh, prayer is not important. I continue to cry out to God, right? Every day. The person who thinks, oh, you know, evangelism. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I've, I'm terrified to do. I have these feelings. Is it really effective? Should we be doing it? But they're still out there sharing the gospel. That's conquering those doubts, even if they're still lingering or you're feeling stuff, you're still pressing on. Another way of looking at it too is I think that often we think that there's this disassociation between our head and our heart. Like my ideas, my thoughts, my questions or my doubts, they're all up here, but that doesn't shape my heart. When I have discovered, and I think that it's uh, true throughout the scriptures, is that our thinking is shaped by our hearts, by our loving. And so often the questions that come to my mind, the answer is less to do with like discovering this reasonable truth rather than discovering some sin in my life, some pride, some thinking higher of myself. And so the answer is often found in repenting from some sin that I have deep in my heart. And I explain it like this at a, at a youth retreat. Our hearts are really like a compass to our thinking. And if a compass is off by just a little bit, just a little bit. So like you guys know, Kelly and I love to sail, my wife. And here in LA, there's Marina Del Rey and you can sail out of Marina Del Rey to Catalina Island, which is 27 miles, okay? When you come out of Marina Del Rey, you set the autopilot compass to 197 due north. And if you stick to that, you're gonna hit, not only will you hit Catalina Island, but you're gonna hit this little cove called Isthmus, right on the dot. You don't have to do anything else, you set it to 197. Well, this one time we were sailing, it's a five and a half hour sail, we were sailing, we we're probably maybe 45 minutes to an hour in. And I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna check the alignment of our, our autopilot. It was off by two degrees. Now you might think, well, two degrees, you're not gonna land in that cove isthmus. You might land on some other part of the island. You're gonna hit New Zealand. We would have missed the island completely. Our compass was off by just a little bit. Wow. And often our hearts, the things that we love, it shapes our thinking. And if the things that we love are off by just a little bit, then it'll rework our questioning, our thinking, our belief in things of that nature. And so to, another way of looking at it is that your thinking, your doubts, your questioning, think about it in the sense of what is it that you are loving? What is your liturgy? How is your heart shaping the way that you think? Because often the answer to your question will lead you to repentance, not just some logical conclusion. And this is what I wanna do in the time we have remaining, guys. I want us to explore though, the things that do feed doubt because there are things that feed doubt and that cause doubt to blossom in people's lives. And so uh, we have to understand that. There are those that naturally deal with it because of their, their makeup, the way they think. There's also, of course, satanic attack, right? He's a father of lies and he's gonna whisper all kinds of things in our heads, in our, into our hearts. Fiery doubts. And that's why we have to take up the shield of faith, right? We're talking about Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. So I want us to jump into that. I have a, a few different kind of categories I wanna explore, but Mark. Listening too much to the world, right? I mean, my kids, I have four kids in college. All you're doing is listening to your leftist college professors here in California. And then you need a break, so you go watch a movie. And then you jump online for the latest social media fad, whatever's happening. You're just being bombarded with everything opposite from that which is holy. So listening to the world can cause that. That's my first point, Mark. I, I wrote down inundating yourself with the world's philosophies. That's so hugely true. And, you know, Ray, you've always been very careful with 
yourself and even your kids. I mean, Rachel, your daughter's my wife. And one of the biggest things she's grateful for is how guarded you were with your family about the world's philosophies getting in. That's a huge impact, isn't it? I mean, you've talked about it before. You've talked about you know, pastors who has, have had unfiltered entertainment for their kids with filth and adultery and all that. And then they're surprised when their kids grow up and they're living that way. Totally agree. But I'll divert if I may and share an anecdote. Another time that causes us to go into questioning is when we go through trials. And again, a part of that faith in the midst of trials and having the right attitude and pursuing the Lord with greater intensity is the fact that he tells us that these trials are producing in us endurance and they're also producing in us character and character hope and hope doesn't disappoint. And I think that's really the, the main point in it all is doing most what we feel like doing least in the midst of trials. Because when I'm in the middle of a trial and everything is chaotic and my emotions are going haywire, the last thing I feel like doing is praying, opening God's word, seeking after the Lord, obeying God, sharing the gospel. But that's when I know, no, no, I need to be doing that most now because I feel like doing it least. And that's a part of that faith, you know. Well, speaking of that candy bar, there's a continual candy bar in front of every one of us. It's Romans eight twenty eight. It's a sweet promise of God that no matter what happens to us, lion's den or no lion's den, fiery furnace or Red Sea, that promise that all things are working together for good to those that love God and according to his promise is sweet to us. And that gives us joy in the midst of our trials. As he conforms us into the image of Christ through everything, that's his whole purpose in it all and using it for the good. Yeah. So there's that, there's the inundation of the world, the world's philosophies. And then how about sin? Venturing into sin. How does that affect us, Oscar? Well, again, we're, we're not first thinking things. I know, why me? Because, well, we know that's your expertise. We're not primarily thinking creatures. We're first and foremost made to love. And if our love for sin endures, then along with that will come skepticism and doubt. Because when our love for sin rises, our hate for truth rises with it. Yeah, isn't it interesting, Ray? You always talk to to unbelievers or atheists, and sometimes even people who had claimed to, to love the Lord, and you reason with them through the fact that it was really sin that causes them to deny the truth of God's existence or the truth of of what Scripture says. It's amazing how much people who want to sin will start to justify and try to reason things away. Well, why can't I do that? Well. You know, and we talk about it all the time, right? The question is, is how close can I get to the boundary without crossing it rather than will it help me run, right? Mark, you always mention that. Yeah, you know, Matthew 24, 12, it says, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And when we start talking about us being creatures of love, being called to love, we first want to love and feel that love and give that. We have to bring it back to that basic place, right? God does not dwell in a place where somebody is going to habitually live in a lifestyle of sin. You know, and I'm not saying that somebody loses their salvation, they just lost their song, right? They they lost that place where they can uh, draw near to the Lord with a clean heart, uh, with clean hands and a pure heart. They lost that place of intimacy and fellowship. You know, first John 1 9 for the believer, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is towards the believer, if you would. That fellowship is lost. It's not completely severed, but it has gone astray. And now you're going to attempt to live in this life without Christ. 
And if you find yourself inside that habitual place, of course, you're going to be like doubting Thomas, where you're continually wanting to see the miraculous, unless I see the scars in his hands. You know, but blessed are those who, who have never seen, who have never heard. And we have a love for a God that we have never seen, and we're in love with the voice we have never heard, and we're homesick for a home we've never been to. I just choose, and I maybe it is just that ultimate willful decision that God said it, and that settles it. All right, I don't understand. His ways are above my ways. But let him in glory's glory in this, that he knows me, that he understands me. And I want to know the God whose thoughts for me outnumber the sand of the sea. I want to know that. I want to know this God intimately. I want to, like John, where he leaned on the breastplate of Jesus Christ and listened to the heartbeat of deity, I want to know the heartbeat of God in the midst of situations. And I understand that that includes the trials and the temptations that are going to come our way. And I want him to be able to have that liberty where he can do whatever he wants to do, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much, how painful that is. And not that obviously that I've attained or that I have arrived, but continually forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm going to continue push on, and I'm going to press onward, and I'm going to look up. Because where am I going to go, right? I mean, what are our options here? Go back to Egypt? Because you don't understand something, and I, I like what Chuck Smith used to say, you know, when you come across something you don't understand, fall back on that which you do understand, right? So I don't completely understand my digestive system, but it doesn't keep me from eating. I don't completely understand all the workings and the dealings of Christ and the Word. That's why His Word is so alive and powerful. We can open it up and we can continually be mesmerized with everything, every time, every scripture that we read. And we open up a commentary or a lexicon, we open up a Greek help or something. We are now on a journey to dive down deep into the heart of God. Well, how amazing is that? And you talk about miraculous and seeing miracles and believing in miracles and that. I think one here on an eyebrow is a miracle. I mean, seriously, I'm blown away when I isolate part of God's creation. And I say to an atheist or someone the other day, I says, make me an eyebrow. You've got to start from nothing. Where you've, got, you've got the soil of skin to grow it, and you've got to make a root that's going to send up an eyebrow in a certain direction. has to go in that direction. It has to be a certain color. has to stop at a certain point and be thin at the end and thick at the end. And what are you going to do? How do you start? Get all the scientists of the world. We're going to make an eyebrow. Everybody, everyone gather get one, all the wisdom of the world. We haven't got a clue. One eyebrow. And I get these thoughts. I'm looking in my dog's eyes, and I can, I can read what he's thinking. Yeah. Even though he does, I don't speak dog, he doesn't speak English, I can see him processing information, and it just makes me think of the genius of God's hand. Everywhere we look, we see miracles. Absolutely. Wonderful. Ray, why didn't you go for a back hair? Are those part of because, the curse? Because no, they, they just <laughs> part they, of the fall. No, 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 no. They're just they're, that's evolutionary. It's yeah. nothing to do. It's random. <laughs> it's not growing in a straight. It's a little, little, little. It's horrible. You ever experienced the pain of plucking a nose hair? Oh, I stop mean, it! I like that our uh, that this episode is has something to do with like how to combat. And I think that there's three ways that we can combat against these questions. I think the first is to ask questions faithfully and humbly, because there's a way in which we can ask questions with arrogance and pride, and that leads to destruction. The second way I've got three is uh, to be discipled 
through a local shirt, shirt, be <laughs> disciples through a local Oscar. church. You cannot isolate yourself as a Christian and seek out the answers to your questions by just going online and watching YouTube videos. That's not enough. God calls you to be saved into a community called the local church, and he desires for you to be discipled. That's the only way where you can grow in your faithfulness and have your questions properly answered and put to rest. And then the third way, and Mark alluded to this and so do you, which is survey your habits. Because your heart shapes the way you think and your habits shape your heart. And so to Mark's point, if you're going to school and you come home and all you do is you jump on Netflix and then you, you know, you listen or watch things that are just not glorifying to God. Like if 90% of your time, or actually I'd go like this. If the only amount of time that you spend reflecting on the glory of God is that hour and a half that you go to church on Sundays, what do you expect? Your heart is being shaped by your habits. And so if you have questions, if you're struggling with doubt or questions, Look at your habits because your habits are shaping your heart and your heart is shaping the way that you think. Amen. I've got a quote. Toying with sinners like plucking a nasal hair. <laughs> so you just do it once. You don't want to try it again. <laughs> I want to thank Mark Spence for the inspiration. You know, Oscar, to that point, I wanted to touch on that because one of the things I had written down was to stay in fellowship, right? And that relates to the local church and it relates to God's people within the context of the local church, those that, you, that you're accountable to in fellowship with. And I want to read this in Hebrews 3, 7 through 15, because the context is really amazing in this regard. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Then we come to the popularly quoted verse. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, right? So the context of that evil heart of unbelief is hearkening back to the children of Israel and their rebellion against God. It's not someone who's dealing with doubts and sincerely trying to understand, but then listen to the remedy he gives. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he's talking about that exhorting of one another. That's the part of that fellowship that happens between believers. And that will help to guard you from that evil heart of unbelief so and rebellion against the Lord. So this podcast does. Yeah, amen. That's a, that's a part of our aim is to, to help people you know, in that regard. And then being out of the word. You say this all the time. I've been reading the Bible without fail for 40 years now. Or? 49 years, I think. And but that's not a boast. I thought no. this is, <laughs> It's like saying I said, eat every day. That's I right. eat every day. <laughs> yeah, some people say this pride. No, it's not. It's just every Christian should be like that. You're, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So a disciple is someone who continues in the word. What's sad though, Ray, is that that when someone says, I read the Bible every day without fail, it's become one of those like, whoa. And you always use this term. I'm No, I'm a normal biblical Christian, right? I mean, it shouldn't be to where we're shocked. Is this really the word of God? If it's God's word, we should be, 
hungering and thirsting for it and devouring it with passion. And as people get away from the truth, that's what happens. I mean, think of what Hebrews 4.12 reminds us of, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, when you're not exposing yourself to God's word, you're not exposing yourself to, to it doing that work in your heart that brings conviction, you know, and remembering that God's word, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be equipped thoroughly, you know, the complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You spoke before of the deceitfulness of sin. I love the Amplified Bible, which I'll quote a little louder because it speaks of the delusive glamour that sin may play upon him. That's what happens with sin. And that's why you need God's word. Mark, what do you think of that? Yeah, Mark. I love the Amplified Version. No, no, no. You've just turned your microphone off because you're... (laughs) We're drawing to a close. <laughs> Is so, it off? Mark? Yeah, it's not off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you made out you turned off, so it was doubly deceitful. No, I tr- I put it on mute so I could drink some water. Oh, wait, wait, that Ray, are you on? doubting? I'm Mark? doubting. Yes. Accuser of the brethren, Ray Comfort. It's an explanation, Mark. You remind me of uh, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Easy mind. Easy to remind That's you of good, that. Well, it's a good way of looking at God's word is that it is the, it's the power to transform your mind. And I love what Ian Dugwood said. He said, even doubting thoughts and feelings that border on sin are better laid out before the gracious eyes of the Lord than nursed in our hearts. God will not be shocked. He knows our inmost thoughts anyway. And the point there, friends, is if you're battling with those doubts, take them to the Lord, lay them out before him. That exercise in and of itself is you communing with God and demonstrating faith despite what you feel. And, and God is, is gracious and wants to meet you there. And those are the things that you need to do to, to help you combat doubt. As we talked about, show your faith by your works, continue in the things that you know are right. Don't inundate yourself with the philosophies of the world. Uh, don't venture into sin. And uh, make sure to stay in fellowship, make sure to stay in the word. And then one more little thing that's really, really key that a lot of people don't think about. How are you doing in terms of of taking care of of your your physical body? You know, rest is hugely important and, and people underestimate what can happen to their minds and their emotions that can lead into doubt when they're not getting enough rest. This is really powerful by D.A. Carson. Listen to this. He said, if you keep burning the candle at both ends, sooner or later, you'll indulge in more and more mean cynicism. And the line between cynicism and doubt is a very thin one. Of course, different individuals require different numbers of hours of sleep. Moreover, some cope with a bit of tiredness better than others. Nevertheless, if you are among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you're missing your sleep, you're morally obligated to try to get the sleep you need. We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationships with others, including our relationship with God. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for prayer all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. Are you guys asleep? Did I hear snoring? And then finally, uh, finally, no, we're done, Ray. No, 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 no. Spurgeon said this. He said, it is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. On, on, on forever without recreation. (laughs) I was waiting for that. May suit spirits emancipated from this heavy clay. But while we are in this tabernacle, we must every now and then cry halt 
and serve the Lord by holy inaction and consecrated leisure. Let no tender conscience doubt the lawfulness of going out of harness for a while. Mm. And so I think that's just an important thing to remember that every 10 years, take a break. I like it. Not that soon, like every 40, 50 years, but no resting, thinking about that. Cause sometimes again, when we get in those modes, our minds start, you know, going crazy on us. So thank you friends for joining us and uh, be encouraged today. May the Lord strengthen your hearts. And as Spurgeon said, come boldly, O believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubtings of thine own heart, thou art greatly beloved. Make sure to check out livingwaters.com. The evidence Bible will help you combat doubt. Thank you for joining us on the Living Waters podcast. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline. California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, good on you, Mike, and Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.